Welcome to the Inside Muskegon Podcast with your host, Jason Pisecki. Now, here's Inside Muskegon. Welcome to Inside Muskegon. This is episode number 40. I'm Jason Pisecki. The Inside Muskegon Podcast is a weekly show featuring interviews with community leaders and comments from everyday people from Muskegon, Michigan. The goal of the podcast is to engage Muskegonites in a dialogue about the issues that affect our everyday lives. This week's show features an interview with Barb Betts, a commentary on the interview, a look back on 40 episodes of the podcast, and information on contacting Inside Muskegon. Our interview this week is with Barb Betts with the Hume Home of Muskegon. I'm here with Barb Betts with the Hume Home of Muskegon. Thank you for taking the time out with Inside Muskegon today. Oh, Jason, happy to be here. What is the Hume Home of Muskegon? We are an assisted living for seniors um, located in town on the corner of Southern and Lakeshore and have been a fixture in Muskegon since the turn of the century, really. 1910, they started construction. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the Hume Home because I think it has a a fascinating story. I've heard you tell it before. Uh, Why don't you share with people a little bit about uh, what the Hume Home has been over the years? It's, um, I guess, the the history of Hume Home is one of the things that makes it really unique. Um, At um, the turn of the century, like I said, uh, Charles Hackley and Thomas Hume were both very active in our community, both lumber barons and um, had other business concerns in town. And Thomas decided that he wanted to find a niche in which to invest in our community and did some research both in and out of our state and ended up coming back and out of his own pocket designing and building this beautiful three-story Tudor revival building that he intended for use from the very beginning to provide a home for elderly. Um, it Construction started in 1910, and I've been down to the Hackley Library archives where they have the old articles from the Chronicle and uh, talks about people from the city just uh, setting up chairs and blankets and watching the construction workers on the scaffolding because it was a huge building for the time. Like I said, three stories. uh, There were skylights, which were sort of unheard of then too. And um, the home was opened as the old people's home in 1912 and started uh, taking in folks at that point. Um, Staff originally lived there. And uh, there's always been a Hume family member on our board of trustees because we are a nonprofit. It's a 501c3, and um, that is another piece of it that's very interesting. Um, And uh, we are licensed by the state of Michigan now to provide care for up to 34 folks and have a variety of services that we offer. We consider ourselves a late retirement home and um, have been a very nice place for many uh, community folks to come and stay. Yeah, I like the original name, the old people's home. It kind of shows how times have changed, and in this age of political correctness, you know. Yeah, that's it, right. It just sounds kind of funny. Yeah, the the name. I think they they decided that they wanted to honor Hume. The board did, and probably I think that name change occurred in maybe the seventies. It was that recent that we changed it to the Hume Home, and there have been some problems associated with that because, of course, there's the Hume House downtown that goes with the Hackling Hume Historic Sites, which is where he raised his family. A lot of people think that he built the Hume home and that he housed his family there, but that's not the case. Never did. So we have had some um, 
identity issues with the Hume house being the historic site where he raised his family and the Hume home being the assisted living that he built for seniors. Well, I think that's a good point that you made. And I'm glad that you cleared that up for anyone listening because that, you know, they are two distinctly different places that, you know, have served and continue to serve different purposes. That's right. That's right. Talk a little bit about your position at the Hume home. Well, I was hired, um, almost three years ago. It'll be three years, November and um, replaced a woman, Barb Wink, who had been with the home for 18 years as administrator. So the since I've been hired, the board has changed my title to executive director. As I said, we are a nonprofit, so there are activities that involve me with service clubs in town, uh, Rotary. Um, we are involved with the Community Foundation. In the late 80s, we received uh, quite a windfall bequest, and um, that was put into an endowment at the Community Foundation. And since we started our recent capital campaign, there's also a new uh, fund at the foundation for a capital campaign. Um, So I am responsible, really, for day-to-day operations, for reporting to a volunteer board of trustees, um, supervising, hiring, maintaining staff. Um, We've got a wonderful staff of 17 at the Hume Home, and uh, that involves uh, folks that cook for us and do maintenance on the grounds in the building, provide resident care. Uh, we have a business manager who handles all of our financial dealings and uh, got a real quality staff. Let's, uh, you mentioned the capital campaign. That's one thing I really wanted to touch on because I feel it's important for the community to be aware of what's going on with the capital campaign at the Hume Home. Maybe you could just share with people what exactly the campaign is and why you're doing it at this time. Sure. We have faced um, a lot of challenges, like many nonprofits, related to um, funding um, our, our resources. And we have intentionally over the years kept our rents very low um, for the seniors that we want to provide a home to. And we have traditionally used our interest from our endowment fund at the Community Foundation to help us subsidize our operations. Um, There are some pending state requirements related to backup generators for homes for the aged, one of which we are licensed as, that require uh, um, in the event of an electrical outage that you do have um, the capacity to continue to provide lights and heat and all of those things. So that's considered a pretty imperative activity for us. And given the age of our building and the age of the electrical service, there's quite a bit of upgrade and replacement that needs to be done just to support a generator. So when the board looked at the cost that would be involved with that, um, uh, they struggled with not wanting to um, deplete our endowment at the Community Foundation because, again, that interest is what allows us to keep our costs down for residents. So there was a decision made for the first time to go to the community for assistance. Um, we are we are a 501c3. Um, we are a standalone agency. We're not affiliated with a hospital or any kind of corporation. And it was a pretty big undertaking for the board in that we had never solicited uh, funds from the community before. So with the help of some fundraising experts, there was a feasibility study done to determine whether or not uh, a campaign would fly in town given other nonprofits that were out doing the same thing and given our visibility or lack of in the community. And there was a decision by the board made after that study to yes, to proceed with the capital campaign. So it's been a year and a half and uh, lots of new partnerships forged, uh, lots of new friends made. We've had 
many generous donors. Uh, We have found over the course of the campaign to date that we've needed to adjust our expectations because we had hoped to include air conditioning in our plans. Um, We have since put that on, on hold for a period of time. So we've had a wonderful group of volunteers um, act as a steering committee for our campaign. Gary Ostrom from the Chronicle has been the chair of that committee and many community volunteers and uh, donors who hadn't necessarily heard of us, but once they found out who we were and how long we've been here, what we have to offer, and um, the quality of our services have you know come on board as supporters and donors. How do people get involved with the campaign and contribute to the cause? Well, anyone certainly can call the Hume Home at any time and be involved. We did a we did a mailing, a mass mailing, and there have been several articles in the Chronicle. But if there are still folks out there who are interested in the campaign or who are interested in giving, all they need to do is call us. Our number is 755-1715, and we'd love to hear from you. Let's talk a little bit about senior care in Muskegon because we are facing uh, an aging population, which is a good thing. You know, healthcare is getting better, but as a result, we have more and more uh, seniors in the community. Um, what are some of the challenges that go along with with that? Well, I think specifically for us and people in our business in assisted living, we are a step prior to any nursing home care. As I've said, we're a late retirement home. We're not a medical model home. So I think the one of the challenges we see is that seniors are finding ways to stay at home longer. And by the time they're ready to go into dependent care, many times they have developed medical conditions that would require skilled nursing. So I think it's sort of uh, the, the future of assisted living is going through some really interesting changes right now. And as uh, insurance insurance requirements and insurance allowance change, we're going to see some variance in the people's use of um, different levels of care that are available out there. Right now, Jason, folks can folks can go anywhere from an independent apartment with maybe a meal a day served to a situation like ours where you come in and you, you don't have responsibilities for meals or linens or laundries or your medications, all of those things you get help with, um, to places where they would provide more care in a setting like that so that it, people who needed assistance getting up and down, um, moving from one point to another, those additional services would be provided too. I think that there are some great programs in town that can help seniors and their families um, sort out residential options. Um, there is a program out of Comfort Keepers called Choice Connections, and there's also Pathfinders in town. And both of those programs are um, designed at no cost for families to help just sort of navigate the whole system of residential options take a look at what someone really needs and match them up with the kind of setting that's going to provide what they require. Well, I think you made some excellent points about the different types of care that people, you know, seniors do need and that is available to them in this community. Uh, tell us about what a typical day is like for a resident at the Hume home. Well, it's certainly going to depend on the day of the week, but I think that um, folks are folks are up and about oh between seven and eight. Uh, we serve breakfast at eight. Everybody eats 
in the community way in our dining room. Um, there aren't any trays. The tables are set in with china and linen, and folks come in and are served family style. And we're only licensed for thirty four, so it's a it's a very small, intimate setting. Um, so folks would come down for breakfast between maybe eight and nine and eat, and activities would start during the day at nine thirty. And there are a host of things going on at the house every day. And we have many musicians uh, that come in. We have um, various faith communities that are represented and come in and either do services or um, Bible study. Um, We have uh, in-house bingo games, things like that. We utilize a wide group of volunteers to come in and interact with the residents in different ways. Lunch is at noon. It's our big meal of the day. Um, everybody loves home, good home cooking, and that's what they get. Um, everybody seems to like their meats and potatoes separated, so there aren't a lot of casseroles. Um, but good, wholesome food, and our big meal, like I said, is then. And there are more activities in the afternoon that people can take advantage of if they like. We are pretty consistent about going on and reminding people everybody's provided with a calendar at the beginning of each month with all the activities that go on. And during good weather months, well, during all weather months, we bust out of there every once in a while and use either Go Bus or the Pioneer Resources Bus, and we get out annually to a lunch cruise on the Port City Princess or to go out and see the Christmas lights or the fall colors or the tulips down in Holland. So all those are, you know, ongoing things that we do. Uh, We have pets that come in and visit. We have a gal that comes in and volunteers her time to do massage with the residents. So it's it can be as busy as people want, but then they have the option of their private rooms um, where they can just uh, relax and be quieter if they'd like. The house is set up. um, Everyone does have a private room, and there are adjoining half baths, and some folks elect to come in and rent a suite. So they have their living area on one side and their sleeping area on the other side of this half bath. And on both floors, there are huge, spacious parlors, and um, there's also a sun porch on each floor. So a lot of residents take advantage of those common areas just to watch TV or play cards or read their papers or whatever they're interested in doing. So it's a nice combination of private space and community space. All right, let's move on to our final question. You have one minute alone with a person considering getting involved in your capital campaign. Make your pitch to get them to contribute. Well, I think the best way is to let our home speak for itself. The The architecture of the home, the feeling that you have when you come in, uh, they combine to really result in something that doesn't even have to be a hard sell. We've been a fixture in the NIMS neighborhood since the turn of the century, a real anchor in that neighborhood. Um, We've been available to people from this community for years. I can hardly ever talk to a person who hasn't been touched either by someone who's lived at the home or they visited the home as a NIMS school student, as a youngster, or they've dug night crawlers on the grounds you know we, we sit on almost four acres of land there at the end of uh, southern where it meets lakeshore and i guess for us to be able to continue to provide a quality care for seniors that's affordable when so many of the new arrangements you know are they're, they're, they strap people and that is something that we can um we can respond to with our rates and with the fact that we do are able to draw this interest off the endowment at the community foundation. 
So I think we're set apart too because we're a nonprofit. Um, we are in a building that was built by one of our forefathers that is still being used for its originally intended use. Um, so there are just many ways, I think, that the Hume home of Muskegon is very unique and worth a philanthropical look, that's for sure. Well, thank you very much, Barb. Well, you're welcome, Jason. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to come and talk with you. You're quite welcome. All right. It's hardly news that people are living longer nowadays. What may surprise people, though, is how much longer they're living. Back when the Hume Home, or the Old People's Home as it was called at the time, the average life expectancy in the United States was 50 years old. Today, in 2006, it's almost 78. The challenge today is how does Muskegon handle this aging population and the challenges that come with people living longer? As society has changed, with both husband and wife working more, less parents end up living with their children. That is why Muskegonites are very fortunate to have so many great choices for senior care and assisted living in the community. The Hume Home is a Muskegon landmark. The facility is an architectural treasure that dates back nearly a century. It lies on beautifully manicured grounds in the heart of Muskegon. Like any treasure, it deserves to be preserved. If you are interested in giving to the Hume Home's capital campaign, please contact Barb Betts, or if you have an elderly person that is in need of care, give her a ring and set up a tour of the home. For more information on the Hume Home of Muskegon, call 231 755 1778 or email Barb at bbetshumehome at aol.com. And now on to a look back on 40 episodes of the Inside Muskegon podcast. The podcast is turning 40, and this is not like the big 4 that many of us dread. It's a celebration and an accomplishment that I take great pride in. After the 20th episode, we did a look back on 20 facts about the Inside Muskegon podcast. Well, I wanted to pay tribute to the accomplishment of 40 episodes and do a retrospective on 40 episodes of the podcast. But a list of 40 facts was a little bit too much of a daunting task for even me. So here are 10 facts about the Inside Muskegon podcast through 40 episodes. Total visitors to InsideMuskegon.com, 31,598. Total podcast downloads, 19,862 from the Inside Muskegon website. That does not count downloads from our media partners at WGVU and WZZM.com. Total bytes of information downloaded, 69 gigabytes. Most downloads for an episode... There is a new number one, and that is episode number six with Tony Lisman from the Muskegon Fury with 1,601 downloads. Second is episode number one with Cindy Larson from the Muskegon Chamber of Commerce, 1,145 downloads. And third is episode number seven with Tracy Lorenz from the Muskegon Chronicle with 1,099 downloads. Male guests on InsideMuskegon.com. There have been 24. Female guests, 16. Downtown Muskegon-related podcasts, 27. Podcasts that mention the Fraunthal Theater, 19. Economic development-related podcasts, 16. And arts and entertainment-related podcasts, 15. I wanted to thank everyone who has supported the podcast over the last 40 episodes 
First and foremost, I want to thank my family for allowing me to spend my free time each weekend for the last 10 months recording my commentary on the podcast. There was one weekend where I managed to squeeze it in during the week, but otherwise, I usually crank it out over the weekend. I want to also thank the listeners to the podcast for your feedback and for downloading almost 20,000 podcasts. Also, the guests for being so gracious with their time. The community of Muskegon for embracing this new communications medium. I also wanted to give a special thank you to Jeremy Sear for producing the podcast. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Your help, not to mention the production quality that you bring to the podcast, has been invaluable, and I truly appreciate you giving up so much of your time to help out. And to kind of wrap up on the look back on 40 episodes, I'm still having a lot of fun with the podcast and don't plan on slowing down anytime soon. So keep your suggestions for interviews and feedback coming, and I'll do my part to keep the podcast going strong. That brings us to the conclusion of episode number 40 of Inside Muskegon. For more information, visit our website at InsideMuskegon.com. Inside Muskegon is produced by Jeremy Sear. For Inside Muskegon, I'm Jason Pisecki. Feedback is welcome at Jason at InsideMuskegon.com. This has been the Inside Muskegon Podcast. Comments are welcome through our website or by emailing jason at insidemuskegon.com. Inside Muskegon.